My govanen melunin. Hello, friends, and welcome to Speak, Friend, and Enter, a podcast where my sister and I use Tolkien's books to explain some things the Lord of the Rings movies didn't make totally clear. I'm Audrey, the movie buff. And I'm Leah, the book nerd. Right at the top of this recording, I want to mention that last month we lost uh, Tolkien's youngest son, Christopher, who died in his home at age 95. The breadth of Christopher's labor organizing, editing, and in some cases completing his father's work can't be overstated. Without him, we would have only The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, <laughs> which, while great works of fiction, are absolutely incomplete without the supplemental material. Christopher edited and published over two dozen volumes of his father's writing over the course of almost 50 years, and the entire fantasy genre is richer for his efforts. So was he, um, did he help write any of the material or did he just make sure that the work got published? A little from column A, a little from column B. Sometimes he wrote, um, he added in things where things were just just shy of incomplete or rather just shy of complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did, he never invented from whole cloth, yeah. but he did complete based on other writings he was able to piece everything together he's actually the reason that tolkien ever wrote the hobbit down because it was originally just like an oral bedtime story that he told his kids and one time when he was doing this when christopher was a child he was like uh dad last time you read this you said he had a blue hood you just said he had a green hood (laughs) and apocryphally uh Tolkien then said, damn the boy, and like went across the room and started writing things down. (laughs) (laughs) That's sweet. Yep. So he had a great life and he did a great deal of work that we're all very grateful for. And 95. Good for you, dude. Yeah, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get back into the action in Lord of the Rings. Yes, when we left off, Frodo had just been stabbed by the Witch King on the Tower of Weathertop. So let's jump back in. Woo! Okay, so this is when... Frodo is now writhing in pain As because he does. he's being taken over by uh, necrotic damage from <laughs> an evil blade. Uh, Aragorn recognizes that he, quote, needs elvish medicine. Um, my first question would be, is does that mean he essentially needs magic? That's unclear. Um, Elrond, in particular, is noted as a skilled healer. That's like his thing is healing, but it's not explicit whether this is like knowledge of herbal medicine or like a more spiritual soul healing. Yeah. So, uh, I really don't know. <laughs> I, you know, they don't really ever show the healing happening. So. No, it's, it's always <laughs> off screen during a very weird transition. Very mysterious. Um, <laughs> later, when Arwen shows up, she says, What grace has given me, let it pass to him, let him be spared save him. Then Frodo doesn't succumb to his knife wound, even though, according to Sam, it's a six-day journey. Journey, thank you, to Rivendell. So my theory is that what she has done is an example of magic in Middle-earth just being manifesting your will. It's kind of like, well, it's more like this is going to sound really dickish of me, but (laughs) prayer actually worked. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. It's it's magic. Yeah. It's, it's what if gods were just real and across the sea and people you know have spoken to them. What if God was one of us? <laughs> if only. Just a slob like one of us. Um, okay, so so it's more like 
elves have access to tap into the divine and that's kind of like where their healing comes from that's a really good way to look at it yeah elves just have access to more power it's kind of because like what we talked about earlier on how they're like the closest to being like gods i guess without actually being gods because they were like the first that were created they're so like beloved and yeah. Stuff. yeah and they were made very similar to the valar yeah they resemble the valar in many ways mm-hmm. one of them being magic question mark <laughs> however you define that <laughs> i don't know if they uh really even use the word magic in the movies i can't recall the time that they do no except except when they're talking about gandalf yeah. Like, especially in Hobbiton. Yeah, and their their um, understanding of his magic is a lot more like prestidigitation and like mm-hmm. party tricks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, cool. So that uh, ends that scene pretty much. And now we're back over at Gandalf, who is uh, calling on his moth friends to <laughs> call on their eagle friends, <laughs> at least as it appears in the movie. I mean, like, is that, I, I think that we briefly talked about this, but you reminding me exactly what that is going on there, why it's a moth and what the connection is to the eagles. There isn't one that I know of. Okay. Um, it's, it seems to be just so it, they establish this now that Gandalf is speaking to an animal Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't seem so much like a deus ex machina when later an eagle shows up. Uh, Whereas in the book, it's because he had told Radagast to send a messenger to Isengard. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I knew we, like, briefly mentioned it. And that was months and months ago. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Then we go beneath Isengard with one of the best songs in the score that's in like a 5-4 time. Oh, is this the thing where the camera is kind of like panning through, like it goes down and pans through a coworker of mine who does listen to this podcast. Nice. Uh, his name's Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. <laughs> uh, he uh, recommended a couple of those videos to me. It's like those special effects guys. Nick showed me a Black Panther one. Oh, yeah, with like three special effects professionals reacting yes. to special effects in big budget movies. So they have a two-parter about Lord of the Rings that oh. he sent to me and I watch. And there is a specific part, and it's really interesting because they they were like really impressed by this scene and the way that it worked. The reason that it looks so real, and the same thing goes for like a lot of the just like big scenery that they have, is they... They built things, and if you ever have seen like the special behind-the-scenes features, uh, they're called bigatures, right? Which is like huge miniatures. Yep. <laughs> um, and they created this shot by building a bigature of Isengard, and then filming the camera like running through it with a periscope. So it's actually oh, like cool. a camera panning through this scenery. It's not computer generated. There are computer generated aspects to bring it to life which is how they make the bigotures not look fake and small right. and static so they like a lot of will, the times there's people moving in yeah them. it's like in the background there will be like a person like walking or they'll add like leaves falling or something like that so there's a little bit of cgi mixed in but that's why these movies look so amazing is because they didn't rely completely on like this artificial technology they used stuff like all this like camera trickery um and real real craftsmanship for to, sure like build their their sets when these movies were being made it was really um 
kind of towards the beginning of CGI being really commonplace in just every movie. Mm -hmm. So they were using more tricks, I think, that people had learned over the last 50 years of having to use practical effects in movies. Yeah. Which isn't to say, of course, that Lord of the Rings was like the first movie with CGI, obviously, but this was really sort of towards the tipping point when people started using CGI more than practical. Mm -hmm. They they did pioneer a lot of like, I guess, CGI-related technology. because sure. a lot like, of AI stuff. Like, Gollum had to be so sophisticated. But that's the conversation for another day. Anyway, this scene is super dope. They, uh, <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's why We'll put a link to that YouTube video in mm-hmm. the episode description. Cool. That sounds great. Please continue. Um, yeah, so we have a link to that in our description if you want to see more about it. It's just... There's no point in me explaining what's happening. They will, <laughs> they're professionals, and they'll do it a lot better than, than I can, but... Uh, that's why it looks so amazing. Woo. So we're in Isengard now, um, and this is the scene where the um, Urukai uh-huh. are being born, essentially. Sort of, at least Lurtz, the, yeah. like, the captain of the Urukai. The yeah. only like named Urukai. The <laughs> yeah. rest of them are all just grunts. And there's like there's this one named guy, and he's kind of important for some yep. reason because he's strong. Um, he's also big. He's also big. He's and big that, and strong. That makes him important. Um, so. Originally, we talked about how orcs were, they were corrupted elves, mm-hmm. but this scene shows them, like, being born from the mud, and I'm just kind of wondering, like, how this works, and I guess, like, another added question to that is, like, what is the difference between the orcs and the Urukai? Because mm-hmm. at least it appears they're being birthed differently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... We'll get to the differences between orcs and urukai because that we could have an entire episode on it. It's a huge, long-running debate in Tolkien okay. scholarship. So your first question: What is up with orcs being born from mud? Yeah, <laughs> so weird. Uh, the creatures that are being birthed in the caverns of Isengard, as you said, are urukai, not mm-hmm. orcs. That's U R U K dash H A I. And there are debates about what that what the word orakai actually means, and we'll get to that. But um, in movie canon, the implication here is that orakai are an invention of Saruman's. Mm. Like later on in Rivendell, Gandalf will say to Elrond uh, that Saruman has created them using foul craft by crossbreeding orcs with quote unquote goblin men which is a curious phrase since orcs and goblins are the the same same. thing (laughs) Mm, yeah and this seems to be a repurposing of something that somebody else says in book canon uh way way later there's a captain of rohan named gambling uh and he says these creatures of isengard these half orcs and goblin men that the foul craft of saruman has bred they will not quail at the sun so these things that are being quote-unquote born aren't Mm -hmm. orcs but orakai orcs uh, reproduce sexually because they're just elves, Gross. but bad. Yeah, it's yep. not a not a fun thing to contemplate. Um, <laughs> and it seems like in movie canon, they're I don't know. Saruman plants a little seed of a little nasty boy and then covers it in mud, and then <laughs> it has to claw its way out. <laughs> Waters it for like the next like three weeks until there's a little little urukai sproutling. Yeah, Saruman is <laughs> a very pronounced cottagecore aesthetic. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, oh boy, the the differences between orcs and urukai. Uh, <laughs> Wait, hold up. Yeah, please. Just like one little comment mm-hmm. on how they're born, because it brought to mind like the difference between mining for 
a mineral mm-hmm. and creating a synthetic mineral. Totally. That's kind of like, and the Urukai is like, well, I can just make one. Yeah. And it's stronger. Yeah. He's it's not like, going to be as authentic because no one had sex to make it. <laughs> now I'm getting all of my metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> the best diamonds come from sex. Sex. Sex diamonds. <laughs> Right. I prefer sex diamonds to conflict diamonds. <laughs> okay, so that's, you know, that was my thought, my <laughs> valuable contribution to no, that. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right that it's like, it's it's another part of this um, mass producing, using machinery mm, to yeah. um, to create weapons that will make right. you basically unstoppable. Yeah. Whereas the homegrown <laughs> uh, <laughs> traditional way to make people uh, takes a lot longer. <laughs> and for whatever reason... Urukai can withstand sunlight versus yes, we'll get there. Orcs, yes. What happens to them? They like, they like it's vampires just, and burns. Ow! It's it's painful to them. Okay, yeah. So uh, the origins of Urukai and the differences between orcs, Urukai, and Uruks are debated at great length in Tolkien scholarship. So I don't think we're going to come to a satisfying conclusion on this matter on our goof show. Okay, I Uruks. Yes. We, yes, we will get there. <laughs> Can you so, give me an example in the movie of who I would know as one of those? No, because oh. they're not mentioned in the movie. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, so I'm just going to share some hard facts from the source material. And just like always, you everyone can go with whichever explanation they like the best. <laughs> yes. Uh, so there's a passage in one of the super extra credit nerd books, volume 10 of Histories of Middle Earth, that says men can be corrupted in the same way that elves were, Mm. and lead to the breeding of stronger orcs. So he says, Finally, there is a cogent point, though horrible, to relate. It became clear in time that undoubted men could, under the domination of Morgoth or his agents in a few generations, be reduced almost to the orc level of mind and habits, and then they would or could be made to mate with orcs, producing (sighs) new breeds, often larger and more cunning. There is no doubt that long afterwards, in the Third Age, Saruman rediscovered this or learned of it in lore, and in his lust for mastery, committed this his wickedest deed the interbreeding of orcs and men producing both men orcs large and cunning and orc men treacherous and vile so they're kind of orakai you're saying are like the male not male the mm-hmm. m- mannish uh-huh. version of what like orcs are to elves mm-hmm. right yes that's what this like men are to orakai as Elves are two orcs. Exactly. That's what okay. this passage says. Okay. Uh, the Lord of the Rings appendices say that Uruks are a specific kind of orc. Tolkien calls them black orcs of great strength that come out of Mordor starting about 500 years before Frodo times. Okay. So Gandalf also mentions this while the group is in Casa Doom. He mm-hmm. says, There are orcs, very many of them, and some are large and evil, black Uruks of Mordor. So we've got Uruks and Urukai uh, in the mix. Okay. <laughs> and it's not always clear what is being referred to when those words are used. So the word Uruk is used to refer to the more powerful soldier orcs out of both Mordor and Isengard. In a book called Unfinished Tales, uh, Christopher Tolkien defines Uruk as the English translation of Urukai. Mm. So it's, it's very messy and it's all tangled. Okay. And both Uruk and Urukai are used to refer to Saruman's soldiers, and both the Mordor orcs 
and the Isengard orcs are called Uruks. So you can't go wrong. Mordorks, thank you. (laughs) You can't go wrong whatever word you use for whatever thing, basically. So I can say anything and it means whatever I want it to mean. Uh, uh, sure, bud. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so my favorite explanation of all of it is that all of the super orcs are Uruks, mm-hmm. Saruman's orcs are Urukai, and goblins are lowest on the power totem pole. They're like the little dweebs from under the Misty Mountains. Yeah, they're just the ones who like swarm in like hundreds. Exactly. Yeah, and the ones who won't go out in the sun because it hurts. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So that was that whole gross scene is him just like bursting free from like the like mud amniotic sack. Yeah, alerts being just like distressingly hot a little bit. Mm. No, a lot. I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, look, look at him through new eyes. <laughs> I'll be, uh, we'll be selling Lurt's body pillows in the Speak Friend and Enter store. <laughs> oh no, oh, no. <laughs> we're a fetish podcast. <laughs> That's going to be it for this episode of Speak, Friend, and Enter. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Those reviews really help people find the show. If you have a question or topic you want us to discuss, please email us at speakfriendpod at gmail.com. You can also check out the show's Twitter at speakfriendpod for official pod stuff. My personal Twitter is at askistwen, that's I-S-T-W-E-N, and Audrey can be found on Instagram at Audrey underscore underscore Lynn L-Y-N. Tune in next time for the answers to questions like, what's the deal with Kingsfoil? And what allows Frodo to see Liv Tyler the same way that Audrey does? That is, like an angel. Until next time, muhu torgizu turugoskin. May your beard continue to grow.